2: This is the court Today replay on C103. Again, all of the papers absolutely full of devastating photographs coming out from Ukraine. And of course, to wait to the news this morning that the Europe's largest nuclear plant is now at the centre of the war it's now gone under Russian control Uh, you know and reports saying that if there had been a devastating hit there had been a fire at the plant but it was brought under control very very quickly but if there had been a direct hit on one of the reactors they reckon that it could have been six times worse than the Chernobyl disaster and we're still the world is still feeling the effects of the Chernobyl disaster we would have been having a mass evacuation of Europe today we'd have been looking at something very very, very differently. And Vladimir Putin, I think if there was ever questions of this man is just off his head. I mean, he just is completely off his head. He's vowed now to seize the whole of the Ukraine. I mean, he went in there saying it was just the, the small sections bordering UK, bordering russia that they that he wanted to take that back under his control because that 's what the people of, of Dunbas wanted, but now he wants to seize the whole of Ukraine uh, with the vow now that the worst is to uh, uh, come uh, also talks that they 're going to impose martial law in Russia. Uh, Vladimir Putin insisted yesterday that the invasion was going strictly to schedule well, that's despite claims that Ukrainian officials reckons that anything up to 9,000 Russian soldiers have been killed. But of course, Russia are denying that. Uh, he's Putin has called the Ukrainian resisting his army uh, extreme gangsters and neo-Nazis. What you're saying about that, about every single person in Ukraine. Vladimir Putin Spoke during a televised address to his Security uh, Council after, of course, this increasing criticism of the of the world, uh, not just coming from outside of Russia, but there's now starting to be criticism from influential Russian organizations, including the country's second biggest oil and gas company. Videos also emerged of Russian prisoners of war calling on their countrymen to rise up against Mr Putin and that's what you'd hope that there'd be some kind of a people's uh, revolution but you know he was just responded to calling the soldiers heroes and insisting they'd be compensated if they come back injured we'll pay you money and any of the soldiers that die the families uh, will be paid and he said I will never give up on my conviction that Russians and Ukrainians are one people. Only problem there Mr Putin is the Ukrainians do not see themselves as Russian people People. There was fresh missile attacks on Kyiv, fierce fighting in the south and the east and then the real, who's coming out as the real hero of all of this, the Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky. He warned yesterday the end of the world has arrived, the two sides. Now they have agreed on a need to set up a humanitarian corridor. The hope there is they'll evacuate civilians trying to flee the war, also to try and get the injured out and also to try and get medicine and vital aid into those. Those that have decided to remain behind. So let's see, does that humanitarian corridor, does does that come to pass? The battle for the south is continuing. Uh, And while that's continuing, there's a convoy of Russian ships. They've moved into the Black Sea. And of course, everybody says what they're heading for is uh, Odessa. And they'll have an amphibious invasion of Odessa, which is the Ukraine's third biggest uh, city. There's reports that Vladimir Putin was planning to order public executions in Ukraine. And there's talks that he'll do that as a strategy to try to break morale amongst the people. I mean, this is just you're reading this and you're thinking, is this is this like a really bad war movie that you think can the storyline get any worse? Except this is happening to real People today, and there's continued attacks on uh, civilians and people being killed in cities which are being besieged by Russian forces. In uh, Kherson, that was the first city to fall into Russian hands since the start of the invasion. The mayor uh, has organized the digging of mass graves. He's trying to clear the streets of bodies, many of whom were blown to pieces with the Russian bombardment of the cities. Russian casualties continue to mount. There was a Russian major, was among one of the most high-profile officers to be killed yesterday. And the White House confirmed for the first time that it is sharing real-time intelligence with Ukraine. Now, that obviously is going to increase tensions between Washington and Moscow. But it's important that the Ukrainians get this information. You know, they're giving them information on what's happening, what the, what the Russians are planning to do and what they've already done and they're getting that in real time, getting that information on to the Ukrainian army. Now, there was a, a bizarre, it, it seemed like a bizarre phone call yesterday between Vladimir Putin and President Macron, the French president. Now, seemingly they spoke for about 90 minutes, but Macron came off that phone call under no doubt. It left him with no doubt that the worst is still to come. And he said, Mr. Putin said he would achieve his military aims, whatever happens, and would continue fighting until the end. And the senior aide of President Macron said that... Pre- Vladimir Putin said that he wants to seize the whole of the Ukraine and that obviously dashes any hopes that he might leave the west of the country alone. There was nothing in what President Putin said to President Macron yesterday that gave him any kind of uh, of assurance. He said he showed great determination to continue the operation. President Macron said uh, that he told Mr. Putin, you're making a major mistake in Ukraine. You are lying to yourself. It'll cost your country dearly. Your country will end up isolated. It'll end up weakened and under sanctions for a very, very long time. But it doesn't look like he was listening to a word of what President Macron was saying. And just to show how really bad this war has gone. And, you know, usually war, they're they're looking at, bombing military operations and you know they, they always say they'll keep away from civilians but it looks like they really are targeting civilians for example yesterday in Kharkiv they hit a blood bank there was donors queuing outside they knew it was a blood bank and the cluster's munitions left small craters all over the compound in another uh, city they bombed the power and water pumper- pumping stations and that's left that town without any running water and that obviously then is forcing families to go out to have to Wells and when they go out to at Wells there's a barrage of uh, missiles in Maripol yesterday. This is the city that is being been completely surrounded. They flattened a maternity hospital. Now thankfully the maternity hospital had been evacuated and local authorities say they're they're turning they're, they're, they're trying to stop water supplies into the city. There was three uh, attacks on critical civilian infrastructure reported over the last uh, week uh, in, in Ukraine as Russia attempts what they 're doing this they're attempting to try to break the resistance there's, obvious, there's two objectives going on here there 's the relentless bombardments of the residential districts, and the strikes are designed to make the cities unlivable and then the hope is that it will force the people living there to uh, surrender. It also sends a warning to the leaders of other cities. Do you want this to happen to your citizens in the hopes that when the Russians roll into the next city, the mayor of that city will say, look, we can't allow what happened to our neighbouring city so they would just willingly surrender the threat seems to have worked in Kersom the strategic river crossing in the south because Russia took control of that yesterday the mayor took to his Facebook page to say he, they, he didn't say Russians now he said armed visitors have uh, taken part of the city's taken over the city's executive meetings he said I didn't make any promises to them because he said I have nothing to promise but he said I just asked them to please stop Stop shooting at the people. And he said, uh, we do do have, we don't have any Ukrainian armed forces in the the city. Only civilians and people who want to live here. Please don't shoot us. I mean, what else could the mayor do? And the Kremlin will be hoping that other towns now will follow the the lead. But in in Kyiv, certainly the leaders are urging the other local leaders to hold fast. But how many people can you allow to uh, die? It's just... The leaders of those cities are just put in an awful, awful uh, situation. It's just, it's just heartbreaking to watch. It really is heartbreaking to watch. And I was watching the refugees who were fleeing. There ain't over a million now, they reckon, have left uh, Ukraine and Poland. I have to say, Poland are playing an absolute uh, blinder. And I was watching some of the scenes of the trains arriving and the refugees coming off. You know, and as soon as they stepped off the train. The volunteers were there. The Red Cross, you could see the Red Cross everywhere, you know, handing out hot drinks and giving them something to eat and you could see most of the people were shell shocked. I mean, you know, it was just everything seemed, the children it was all like a little bit of an adventure for the children and they're obviously trying to keep it as normal as they can for the children but you could see in the eyes of the mothers and the grandmothers I mean, you could just see how heartbroken they were to be leaving their own country and they're not only leaving their own country they're leaving their husbands their sons, their brothers, their fathers, they're leaving them all behind. And that must be a very, very difficult thing to do. And in Poland, they just seem to be so organised, getting the people through, getting them onto buses, sending them on to reception centres. And I saw this line, lines and lines of prams and buggies. And I was saying, oh, the prams and buggies. And then I realised there was people getting off, you know, who fled their homes Grabbing babies and toddlers, you know the last thing you're doing is packing up a pram to try and bring it with you to get onto maybe a crowded bus or onto a train there wasn 't room to take things like prams and buggies so there's been a huge donation obviously in Poland of prams and buggies, and you could see the people coming off carrying babies, and the Red Cross were there helping them here 's a pram for you and giving them you know hygiene packs and it was just it was incredible and it 's the NGOs on the ground who are doing the most amazing work uh, as well and of course we'll have details we 've launched an appeal here at C1. For how we can help the Red Cross because they really are at the cold face. Uh, but my heart just breaks for the people of uh, Ukraine. When and how is this all going to end? Mary and says, President Putin needs to be stopped. Sanctions and slapping him on the wrist simply doesn't work. Send in the special forces to rid the world of this uh, dictator. Says Mary, God, you'd love to think that there is some plan somewhere, isn't it? I mean, as somebody said earlier on in the week, they managed to find uh, Osama bin Laden and they managed to take him out. Wouldn't it be great to think that there's a plan somewhere going on but it's getting to the man he is so paranoid and because of that he is so well protected Can I give you a suggestion by the way just to for people to try to get the background to what is going on and more of an understanding of what's happening in Ukraine I came across the other night a, a documentary on Netflix And it's called Winter on Fire, Ukraine's Fight for Freedom. It was actually released back in 2015. And I I don't know at the time, was it, how widely watched it was in 2015. But obviously with everything that's going on in Ukraine again, it's become suddenly, it's become one of the top trending documentaries on Netflix and it is well worth watching. It's a 90 minute film documentary and it chronicles a period in Ukraine's history from not that long ago, from 2014. It was the the, dark, the, the, the film footage was taken the previous year in uh, 2014 which is only eight years ago and at the time it was the, the Maiden Revolution. It was a people's revolution and it ousted a pro-Russian government led by the then Ukrainian President Viktor Yanukovych. The Oscar nominated Netflix documentary tracks the revolution movement that sought to re establish true democracy in the country. And it was incredible. It started out with students who this Viktor Yan- Yanukov got elected and he promised that he would do what the Ukrainian people wanted which was to join the EU. They wanted to align with Europe. They didn't want to be aligned with Russia and of course as soon as he got into power he turned went straight to Putin and he was you know all for Putin and he was pro uh, Putin and of course it was it started as a lot of people's revolutions starts. It started out with the students but it really really gained momentum at one stage there was a million people out on the streets to get rid of this president. Now the brutality it's hard to watch at times. I I will say that. It really is. It was like a a special branch force that was sent in to break up this. And it was a peaceful protest um, and peaceful protesting that was happening. But anyway, they managed after nearly 100 days, they managed to succeed. And this president fled the country. Where did he go? He went straight to uh, Moscow. And that... That guy, that Yanukov, is the guy now that President Putin wants to put back in power. Seemingly, he's already in Minsk waiting to go back to Ukraine as president. The plan is that Putin will take over Ukraine and then he'd put this guy back into power. And this was the guy that the People's Revolution outed. So you can, it really gives a good insight and a background to it. But, you know, when I was watching all the film footage, because you're seeing all the the cities that we had Kiev in in particular and the the centre Freedom Square uh, and where all of this people's revolution went on and you're seeing it now being destroyed by the uh, Russians but it really does give a a good background to it so if you have Netflix it's worth a watch Uh, Winter on Fire Ukraine's Fight for Freedom 0818 103 103 John Paul taking your calls text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103 Court Today
0: on C103
3: with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group From motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance cmig.ie well,
2: We all look on with great shock and sadness at what is happening in Ukraine Many of us feel a need to help in whatever way we can Well if you're living in the Charleville area you can help out by supporting a local collection of urgently needed items that will be delivered to those that need it most next week Magdalena no. Vacek, originally from Poland but now living in Charleville, is organising the collection, joins me. That's not a great line. Uh, Hello Magdalena, can
4: you hear me? Hello, Patricia. Okay. How
2: are you? I'm very well. But we okay. We had a bit of buzzing. It seems to be easing off a little bit. I'm 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 very well. You you're originally from Poland. Can I just start by saying to you, Magdalena, your own country of Poland have been absolutely fantastic in what they're doing in taking refugees. You must be very proud of your home country.
4: Of course, I am. Is the, there is no words to describe how great it is. Not, it's not only Poland, it's like the, all the EU countries doing a great job. Like all the donations, uh, like clothes or food or medications and even money donations. It's on all over the world. So it's not only a Poland, but yes, I am, I'm proud of them.
2: Yeah, but they've taken the biggest number of refugees uh, so far. They really are, as we would say, playing a blinder. Well, but, Magdalena, what are your feelings when you watch on TV what is happening in your neighboring country of Ukraine? Because I imagine it's a country you know quite well.
4: Of course. Uh, even like in Charleville, we have a friend, Marianna, and she is from Ukraine. So just imagine how she was on that day uh, or night. Crying. We were basically crying. So, like, you, you can't describe it. Like, just, like, so, like two days ago, they bombed the maternity hospital. So, like, when you're watching the news, you, you you can't put your feelings, like, they're awful. It's like, I don't know who, like, what kind of person doing that stuff now?
2: And you are, so you've decided to do a collection. Can you tell us what exactly you're collecting?
4: Yes, uh, like, it's not only me, it's the five of the girls from Charleville, we are friends over there. And so we started with the idea to collecting some medications and dry food for Ukraine. And the first idea was collecting maybe 10 boxes and send it to, uh, to uh, Polish borders with Ukraine. And um, this idea grew so fast. So basically after two days, we have to take a bigger place because our houses were was filled up. And uh, we're still collecting medications. Uh, that's the major thing. And then baby food and baby clothes and also blankets and warm clothes for the Ukraine people uh, and dry food, canned food, that stuff. And just to... Um, confirm our truck going not next week, it's going out on this Sunday.
2: Sunday, okay.
4: Yes, and are you, uh,
2: and people have been very generous and the reaction has been really great.
4: Oh, the amount of the stock what we had it in the two days it was so big that we have to ask uh, 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 St. Mary's School in Charleville to give us a space in their dining room and another space, in another room for the, just the clothes. And also the girls, like the students from St Mary's School in Charleville, they did a great work because they are sorting for the last three days. They are sorting the this, like, this food, drive for the drive for the cans, baby clothes, baby clothes. So everything is nearly sorted. They're they are very, very trying to do it.
2: And how are you getting the goods to the border, Magdalena?
4: Uh, It will be a truck going uh, coming from Dublin. It's a private uh, private person and uh, want to stay anonymous, and uh, it's checked uh, from us. So it's going from Dublin to just to Charleville because the amount of stuff what we have already it's huge. So we need a truck. So they come into our uh, Charleville, and they we will be packing that on Sunday and it's going to Dublin and probably will go to Lublin in Poland. But before they go, they need to decide which which kind of border to choose, like what what, um, what direction to go, because they, the situation on the border is changing from day to day. So they will be in direct contact with us where the stuff is going. So we will be yeah. going like Monday, Tuesday, maybe.
2: Yeah, because I know some of the... Border posts are getting too much stuff, and there's other areas yes. that are not. So, it's because I know what
4: we're trying to do sorry, what we're trying to do is to go and uh, transfer the stuff by train, okay? Because the train's going directly to Ukraine, so inside it. Because I know the borders are fully packed with clothes, so we focus on the medication, but anyway, we try to get the train. Uh, so the truck will try to uh, find the space over there and put that much stuff, what we can, to the train and go into the Ukraine. Because the people that we need, like in the Polish border, we still need uh, people who can have, a, I think it's a green card, because yeah. the Ukraine is not in the EU, so we need to have a green card to pass the borders from our side. We still need that people who can get the documentation, pack the stuff, and then cross the border and give it to the people, people who are there, who yeah, are still the, over yeah. there waiting.
2: There are people in desperate situations inside in in Ukraine, as well as the people, the, the refugees that are coming out. Obviously need support, but but by God, for the people inside, it is it is even uh, worse. Uh, so, and and your friend who you spoke about, uh, who's from Ukraine, uh, Mariana, is it?
4: Yes, Marianna.
2: Has, has she has has she heard from her family in Ukraine?
4: She have uh, two sisters and mother and father. The parents around seventies at the moment, and her mother with two sisters. They are not that bad because they are on the border. Uh, I hope I will I will say it correctly, but will Lviv, so it's closer to Polish border. Okay. But then uh, her father. Um, he is on uh, Poltava, which is very close to Kiev, unfortunately, and he is not able even to evacuate himself. They still have a contact with them, they are still okay, but uh, for the stories what they' passing are horrible.
2: And she obviously tries to phone them or text them every day to see yes, how Yes, they...
4: all the time with all the friends, even old people from school, you know, like she, she went to school over there. So she's trying to, to find out that many people around, but is the house uh, sometimes over there and some people don't see it other for days now. But uh, definitely her parents, I confirmed that with her yesterday, their parents and the two sisters of her, they, they're there, they're fine at the moment, but she's trying to push the sisters and mother to cross the border and go to Poland and and trying to uh, take them here to Ireland. But, you know, her mother, she's 70, so it's very hard.
2: It's hard. It's hard on the older generation. Whatever about the younger generation, it's just so hard on the older generation, even watching the trains coming into Poland uh, yesterday. It's
4: a totally different culture and language barrier.
2: Yeah, it's very hard. You could see the most people getting off the trains were younger mothers with their children. There was a, a yeah. small few older people, but in the main it was younger. And I can understand that. It's very, it's very very hard for, for older people. And, and Magdalena, have you any understanding of why Vladimir Putin is doing what he is doing?
4: No, he's maniac. <laughs> for my opinion, not really. I don't understand why they can't learn from previous wars. Like, because it's usually about the politicians, but the normal civil people hurt most. Yeah. And especially, like if he's at, like if he's bombing the normal state with the civils, who's doing that? Yeah, there true. is no word to describe him.
2: I oh, know. Yeah, there isn't. There there actually isn't. Uh, Magdalena, listen, best of luck uh, with what you're doing. It's it's terrific and, and it will help those who most uh, need it. And uh, pass on our best wishes to, to Mariana and, and, and indeed all your family and friends that are over in the uh, Ukraine. All we can do is think about them and, and pray for them and, and hopefully that this war comes to an end soon. But thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us
4: thanks
2: a lot for that and have a great day now you too, you too, God bless uh, bye bye, it's so hard isn't it on, on those who are living here watching what is happening in either their home country or their neighbouring uh, country that is Magdalena uh, Novacek who is originally from Poland but now living in Czarnovo, 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls, there's a collection for Ukraine, it'll be taken up outside the ch- the church after mass this weekend in at uh, Kilworth and a solidarity walk with ukraine is going to happen in balancho regional regional park car park the inaskara bridge entrance that 's happening this Sunday at eleven a m they 'll be taking up a collection. Uh, that will be used for safely to safely repatriate to Ukraine. Car parking is limited so please avail of larger car parks nearby or walk to the walk, please. Balancholic Regional Car Park Solidarity Walk with Ukraine. And a fundraising dance for the people of Ukraine will be held at the CYMS Hall in Newmarket. That's on this day week, the 11th of March. Music by Peter Burke, Sheila Fitzgerald and Elmerio Dwyer. Admission will be €10, Euro, but larger donations Will be gratefully accepted as well, and all monies collected on the night will be going to the Red Cross Emergency Ukraine Appeal, and that has been organised by John Joe Hurley Heath. Well done, John Joe. 0862103103 103. texts and WhatsApps are open. Court today on C one zero three
3: with John Cusack Insurances Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk; they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
2: Now, a number of weeks ago, I spoke with uh, North Cork Councillor Bernard Moynihan, who, along with Cork County Council, were contacting Comreg, the communications regulator, to complain about the poor and at times non-existent mobile phone coverage in areas of Tohalla. With the latest on the story, Fianna Fáil Councillor Bernard Moynihan once again joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Bernard. Good
5: morning, Patricia. Now, good morning to your listeners.
2: Now, Comreg have responded, but they need to get a fuller picture of what is going on. What have Comrade suggested?
5: They have suggested that people who have poor mobile phone coverage contact them directly. And I think that's unrealistic because people have busy lives there and the people of Mealing, Rock Chapel, Guinea um, Belly Desmond, file they deserve the same coverage as everybody else. And this idea that you have to contact Comrade that Comrade will then get onto the mobile phone companies. I think it's unacceptable. I think it's unfair on the residents because they're. Do you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, and you, I'm wondering have, has anybody be complained before? I mean, you would assume some would have. But I suppose oh, yeah, the majority don't complain because we're of the belief, actually, that's just poor mobile phone reception.
5: Well, the majority don't complain. The majority get onto their public reps, and the public reps make complaints. And I have raised the issue continuously at Car County Council level, at municipal district level, that particularly in the area that I represent, it has very poor mobile phone coverage. If you travel, if you go through Bantier, all the way from Bantier up over Lyre, up into, all the way to County Hall, if you leave where I live and you travel to County Hall, you've only covered for about, I'd say, 30% of the area. Once you hit Ballymacquirk and Ballymacquirk to Cork City, there is no coverage. And like this, in, this is in the area when farmers are trying to tag calves at night at 12 o'clock at night. A lot of people do their work, you know, in, in say, for the, the, the farmer now, the modern farmer, their phone is vital for managing their farm and they need mobile phone coverage. And I've had phone calls from people who've been on the phone and the phone has dropped off in the middle of the conversation when they're talking to somebody. Now, that's all kind of People are trying to put forward their best foot forward in terms of professionalism and so forth. People walking from home, you know, if people are on calls to, to different places, they want their phones to be working.
2: Yeah, but ComReg will say there is a procedure in place. The procedure being that if you are unhappy with your service provider you need to complain and I think they've got 10 days to respond and then if they don't respond then the customer has to get onto Comreg to say well I've been onto my provider they haven't done anything about it and it's only then that Comreg can move move in it's almost like Comreg's hands are tied because this procedure is in place and they can only follow the procedure
5: they can only follow the procedure but I've noticed or I've uh, heard in recent days that the phone coverage has improved in, in certain areas Okay, that's good so I mean, it's ultimately the phone companies provide the coverage, and I'm just concerned that in the town of Mallow or Cork City, the phones are working perfectly. It's, I'm just concerned that they're the putting in a, putting in masks now. I think in an extra mask or mask in Um which will help the coverage in Bantier. But like you know, I'm just concerned that there's, there's no um, mobile phone coverage in urban areas is perfect. And I just think in rural areas where there's a smaller usage of the mobile phone system, and maybe less people using the mobile phone system, that the companies are not paying the same attention to rural areas as they are to urban areas.
2: Because they're not making as much money out of the rural areas, is probably what they will say. Correct. And they can they, but you feel they should be forced to.
5: I'm, fri- I'm absolutely of the belief that the phone coverage in Foyle or belly Desmond or Rockchapel should be the exact same as it is in Patrick Street in Cork City. I mean, you won't hear people from the city complaining they have no mobile phone coverage.
2: Well, I know the last time we had you on, and, and you were specifically, you know, mentioning the areas you were talking about there in in Dew Hollow, uh, we we then got a flood of calls from people in West Cork. I mean, it is very much a rural issue.
5: It's a rural issue, and we need more maths, more. But whatever it is required to have proper, one hundred percent mobile phone coverage for every for every citizen of Duhalo. and my belief is that that the companies are, and we're writing to them now through Comreg and so forth, and we're raising the issue. And one mobile phone company actually contacted me directly okay. about the phone system. They contacted me directly on my mobile. So, you know, all we can do is. You know, all I can do as best I can with the limited resources I have is to highlight it in the local papers and the local radio, the the issue of mobile phone coverage and the need. And my firm view, uh, Patricia and your listeners, is that the service for the rural people should be the same as the urban people.
2: Okay, but maybe if enough people do make complaints to Comweg and if they do get enough complaints from a particular area. Then maybe they will act.
5: Absolutely, but, they are acting. I think in band or now at the moment.
2: Yeah. Okay. So so maybe maybe we'll take the advice from Comreg. You need to complain first to your service provider. You've, you've got t- they've got ten days to contact the customer and provide a resolution. If they don't, then you get into Comreg and then they have to respond to them. It's well, like that's, a that's
5: as simple as that. People have to. You no, know, people have rang me to 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 ring Comreg on their behalf. Yeah. But like, it's a simple as that procedure OK
2: alright give it a try give it a try uh, listen while we have you on um, uh, just on a different topic the latest update on Bally McQuirk Cross has on board planola approved the roundabout?
5: well there was joy I suppose you could say on Monday board, uh, I was waiting with, uh, you know I was very concerned when I was waiting wondering would it go, which way would it go but on board Planala have given full approval for the construction of a roundabout in Bally brilliant I travelled to County Hall on Monday and there was a, a roads meeting up there with regard to the future of roads. We, we have the highest percentage of roads in Car County other than any other county in the country. But the position with regard to Bannamacquirk, as I understand it, is that they are proceeding immediately to tender and immediately they're saying that they're going to begin construction of the roundabout in October, November of this year and to be finished in June or July of next year. It's a nine-month project. But it is going to happen, and it is like when I got on to you, when I spoke to you first, to Patricia, way, way back, it was, a, you know, I, I, it, it is true, the will of the people here, 4,000 people signed a petition, several people contacted their local public representatives, Bantier Community Council got involved, and several people have been involved in trying to progress the issue for for Bella McQuirk. But it is that there is no further hurdles uh, of any description in terms of planning, it has all been resolved 100%. We
2: just need shovels in the ground uh, now show, and, and uh, you can get it built.
5: I read in the Corkman last night that the Director of roads said we'd have boots on the ro- ground by the 1st of September.
2: Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Well done. And, and I know you and other uh, public reps have done their bit as well, but you've really been to the fore on this one, so well done. And I don't know if you can help out Eddie or not, but Eddie's been on to say, would you ask Bernard, when are they going to fix the bridge in Kanturk? It was damaged following an accident. Would you have any update on that?
5: Levan well, I've been talking to the council officials about that bridge in that's that's a year ago now or more and we're trying to get that fixed as soon as possible and it should be fixed Okay, and well. resolved that issue should be resolved
2: Okay Alright Bernard we leave it there thank you for that
5: Talk to you and uh,
2: thanks uh, for joining us that is uh, North Cork Councillor Bernard Moynihan talking about poor sometimes non-existent phone coverage in rural areas uh, Mossy in West Cork says hi Patricia I can get Instagram I can get WhatsApp I can get calls text messages from New York Saudi Arabia and Australia And I can't get a text from one mile down the road here in West Cork. You're not on your own with that uh, for sure. Thank you for your text, uh, Masita 0862 103 103. We're going to take a break and we have news at 11 on the way.
0: Cork Today on C103.
3: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. Cmig.ie. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed
2: just to update you on a couple of things uh, Firstly John Paul had a number of calls from the start of the week for people who were getting very frustrated I know there was some text in about this as well very frustrated not trying to get through to the National Driving Licence uh, Centres and people were saying they couldn't get through on the phone lines and what was going on and people had queries about driving licence or others were trying to ring to book appointments uh, etc Well we got onto the NDLS just to see what was going on and they came back to us to say that due to unavoidable staff absences they they were experiencing disruption at some NDLS call centres and within the centres themselves so there was a staffing issue this week now hopefully it has been sorted because Patricia was on um, just in the last couple of minutes to say that she got on to the NDLS centre uh, this morning she was waiting about five minutes but then her phone call was answered to a lovely person called Ashlyn answered the call and sorted out Patricia's husband needs to renew his license and um, Ashlyn did the application over the phone fo- over the phone and all that and they got a text back for an appointment for tomorrow so it got sorted very very quickly so for people who've been trying to get through to the NDLS centre this week they were experiencing problems but according to one of our listeners they managed to get through this morning so hopefully that has been uh, sorted out and just an update on little Leonid the little boy who arrived from Ukraine earlier on in the week and he needs the cancer treatment and uh, we were talking with his mum Yana and his aunt Victoria and it was a very very distressing uh, interview because both the women were so so upset and Michael Collins uh, was also on the West Cork Doll Deputy and uh, at the time we were looking for someone, we put a, an appeal out for someone who could translate all of Leonid's medical documents. Obviously they they fled Ukraine and they had all of his medical files with them. But obviously all of the medical files were in Ukraine and we wanted to get them translated so that they could be of help to the doctors at uh, CUH who will now take over uh, his his care and his cancer uh, treatment and I have to say we had a number of people who contacted us to say yes they would be willing to help including one person who was specialising in translation of medical documents and that's really what we uh, needed so we put that translator in contact with the family all the documents have now been translated which I think I don't know who this person is but they've obviously worked round the clock to get all of that documentation translated that's now gone back to, to little Leonid's family and it'll be passed on to the uh, doctors and Michael Collins was on to say that the GoFundMe page that was set up it's the—it's a go, GoFundMe.com it's help Leonid with his leukaemia treatment they set a goal of a thousand euro, euro when they set this up At the start of the week, I think three days ago, it was set up. It's now gone to 62,671 euro. That is incredible. Well done. People have been really, really generous. And of course, any money left over when the money's been used for Leonid's treatment is going to be donated to the Irish Cancer Society, which I think is really generous move as well by the family so thank you for that just to update you there other calls are coming in on the Ukrainian situation um, John Paul said there was a number of calls including Charles making the point when I opened the show mentioning about the nuclear power plant that went on fire but they got it the Ukrainians got it under control very very quickly and we now are, are hearing this morning that it's under Russian control now But of course, the fear was right across Europe. My God, if something had gone wrong there last night with that uh, fire. And Charles was saying, what if that nuclear power plant had been blown up? Um, What would we be dealing with today? The millions of Europeans would have to evacuate. Where would we all be going? Is there a plan? I don't know. I I actually don't know if there's a a plan. You'd be looking for your uh, out-of-date iodine tablets, I think, Charles, for sure. But I don't know if there's a plan. I really don't. There was there was that nuclear plan that time. We all got the iodine tablets. They went out of date, and there's been really nothing since. Has the rest of Europe a plan? You'd like to think that they have, but if they they do, I certainly haven't heard uh, what it is. But it's it's looking like there. I say there's very anxious people sitting around tables in every government all over Europe now and indeed all over the world because the nuclear option doesn't even bear thinking about. Michael in castletown thank you for your call, Charles. Michael in Castletown-Bear, the depth of seriousness for the world in Ukraine as we speak. Words cannot express especially now that the Russians have established themselves in Ukraine's nuclear power plant which is the largest nuclear power plant in Europe. The evil Putin will use for his aim to take the country. I would sincerely ask every man, woman and child of all creeds and no creeds to pray the rosary today and tonight when you're driving home or anywhere you are especially to Our Lady Queen of Peace to protect us and the world from this mentally deranged madman in Russia. I know that the people know Oh, the sleeping danger that is about to be awoken. So please play the rosary. Never underestimate the power of prayer, says Michael. Today is one of the darkest, darkest days that has dawned and been witnessed since 1939. Putin has to be disposed of one way or another immediately, if not sooner, says Michael. And so many people are saying that. Thank you for for your text, Michael. Stay safe. Hi, Patricia. We've gone from having a world pandemic which raged for two years, and now we've gone straight into a war. We've gone from the pot to the frying pan. I hope that you, I welcome the Ukrainians with open arms, but our health service and other services won't cope with the volumes of people that will come into this uh, country. How is Putin left to his own devices? Why can't every country try to invade Russia and simply stop uh, him? And Anne makes kind of a similar point. Why isn't the USA and Germany stopping Putin and sending somebody in? They're all afraid of a third world war, where right? there's a war in Ukraine. But if NATO and if the other countries get involved, everyone's afraid of the nuclear o- option. And looking at Putin and the way he's sounding and the way he's looking and what he is doing to Ukraine, he, he can press the nuclear button and then it's the end. For all of us. I mean literally if every country decides to go down the nuclear bomb route, well then that's it. That's the end of the world. So uh, they're just all fearful. Everyone is just fearful. He has to be somehow taken out. How we do that, I don't, I really, really don't know. Hi, Patricia. Uh, Tom here. Can I just say a lot of people criticised the Polish people when they first arrived to this uh, country and people were critical of them. Even some people shunned them. Well, I hope those people are watching the Polish people in action now. They've become the real heroes of this war with a lot of others helping in such a big way to save women and children. From what I've seen and cried over the past few days, I just say what a difference in two neighbours. Yeah, you've got one neighbour trying to eradicate an entire country. You know the word genocide has been used and it does look like it's genocide. It looks like they're trying to wipe out the face of the Ukrainian people and literally level the country. And then you've got that's one neighbour and then the neighbour on the other side are just throwing open their arms and saying, you know, come in, we'll help you. We will look after you as best we can. O eight one eight one zero three one zero three. John Paul taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to O eight six two one zero three one zero three. And Michael in Quartertown, uh, it, just outside of Mallow, said, Did anybody see two planes flying over Mallow in the last 10 minutes? He describes them as grey coloured planes. He said they look like war planes Oh my God because I, I, I heard a helicopter in the sky during the week and I kind of oh, because I'm watching too much of the TV with planes and whatever but no I, has anybody spotted them two grey coloured planes that look like war planes Michael says they were flying over Mallow if anybody else noticed those 0818 103 103 C103 Jobs
3: With Munster Technological University enhance your career prospects with MTU's range of full time part time and professional courses succeeding together with mtu.ie
2: An office assistant is wanted for the Bohor area. You need to have a minimum of two years' experience. to supply with your CV to esther at ingredientsolutions.net. Sales assistant with some previous experience and an interest in crystals and the relevant terminology is wanted to work for Crystal Earth in Mallow. Email sales at crystalearth.ie Part-time reception required for the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow. Call Tracy on 022-582-00. Our email info at Hibernian Hotel Mallow. And St. Joseph's Day Centre, they're based in Rathmore. They've got vacancies for care assistance. Contact Sean on 089-2247-454. Our email sean at SocialActionGroup.ie. That's how the job link is looking today. You'll find more job opportunities by going online. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103.
0: Court today on C103.
3: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance, cmig.ie.
2: Despite soaring energy costs, almost half of all gas and electricity suppliers do not switch to a new supplier or read their bills. That's according to a consumer survey by the Commission for Regulation of Utilities. Joining me is Carol Richardson, who's Head of Communications at the CRU. Good morning to you, Carol. Good morning, how are you? I'm very well and you're welcome to the programme. Is it widely recognised that people can save money by switching providers?
6: Yeah, well, look, just, just thanks for having me on. And, and uh, as you mentioned there, we run a, a consumer survey every year, and, and, and basically that's there to measure the consumer experiences and attitudes of consumers have with the energy market. It's, it's, it's used across 2,000 residential uh, customers and 650 SMEs, small and medium enterprises and businesses, um, uh, as part of the survey. And what it's really showing is that while there are there's varying levels, I suppose, of engagement with uh, with the marketplace and. It, 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 I, I think if you look at the simple fact that if you had switched electricity and gas, if you were dual fuel, um, you have electric, electricity and gas from the same supplier. If you had have switched uh, every four years at, at the end of your contract period, you would have saved approximately fourteen hundred euros. Wow! So that's 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 a huge amount when you consider it, and, and that's why we're, we we have our own. Obviously, it's important for customers to engage with their own supplier at the end of their contract period to switch because that's where the real value is. Obviously, we're seeing very high rises in gas prices and, of course, the end consumer feels that pinch as well. So it's really important to do that. And I think... The attitudes are changing. Uh, it's increased, uh, and certainly even from understanding the offers that are out there from suppliers, like it's moving from 42% to 49% of, of electricity customers now probably understand the offers that are available and, and are switching, which we've seen increases from 19 to 20% of customers have said that they've switched in the past year. So attitudes are changing, but there's always room for improvement.
2: And, and, and I take it for those who switch, the main reason is saving money
6: absolutely i think it's very few that our uh, customer satisfaction with suppliers based upon the, the results of the the uh, of the survey are still very high so generally people are you know up to around 85% of people are actually happy with their supplier um but uh, if you look at the, the 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 numbers who have never switched um 39% of gas or of electricity and four percent of gas customers have said they've never switched so you can see where the areas of improvement are and, and what people can actually say by doing that
2: Do you think some people just feel oh that would be way too complicated I, my, my electricity will be switched off my gas will be gone I'll never be able to organise it
6: Yeah and I think it's like most things when you, when you see with those numbers that have never switched I think that has slowly creeped down over the last number of years of course and when prices increase, the level of switching corresponds to that, and, and levels of switching have... They took a hit during COVID, I think, in the first six months of first lockdowns in 2020. Basically, I think we, we feel that from the data, looking at the data, that people have a lot of other things on their minds. So they yeah. took a bit of a, a dip during that period, but they have they have continually... Uh, recovered from that position in, twen- in, in uh, mid 2020, 2021, they've been very high and they've con- c- c- continued to be very high. But when you look at, consider that 47% of people um, have never actually opened, or up to f- from 40% have never actually, uh, sorry, excuse me, 47% the previous year have never actually opened their bill. Um, that has reduced down to forty percent. Have said they've never opened their bill because people are more conscious of their bills. Um, I unfortunately am not in a position where I, I cannot um, uh, worry about my own energy bills, and, and I'd always examine my bill and I'd encourage people to do that. But
2: uh, what, what, both, do you look, what you see? I mean, I would look at an electricity bill and think, what, what am I meant to be looking for on, on an electricity bill?
6: I think you're certainly looking like like most consumers. What's the end cost? If yeah. your end cost is is, is high and you are at the end of your contract period, which is generally around 12 months, you should be looking to switch. And that can be done quite easily. And we talked about that earlier, how easy it can be. There are switching websites which will manage the whole process for you. You can even call them. You don't have to do it online. Um, These are switcher.ie, bunkers.ie, and PowerToSwitch.ie, switchie And any of those will facilitate and help you switch uh, and compare the best
2: and they're they're and really good. they are, they are really really good we've we've we often speak with them on the program here but they're mm. really good because they'll show you in black and white the saving that you can make
6: absolutely and and, and every supplier when you're in a contract period what usually happens you obviously as as a new they want to attract new customers they give good good discounted um uh uh, offerings, but at the end of that 12-month period you will most likely go on to the standard tariff, which would be higher than the discounted uh, tariff that you'll be on, and that's when you need to switch. Every supplier has to contact you in advance at least a month before your contract period finishes to say, your contract period is finished, we'd like to talk to you about renewing and offer you something else, or you are free to switch. Yeah. So you can renegotiate and and maybe get the same deal from your supplier. But then, obviously, uh, you can obviously look around and see what other and use those websites as uh, to facilitate that switch for you.
2: Now, your consumer survey was conducted last summer, so we were still well in the well into the uh, pandemic. Uh, did COVID nineteen affect the ability of people to pay their bills?
6: Um, we didn't see a, a jump in arrears. Uh, we have other data that we monitored the the. Uh, the um, So the marketplace, we had a number of moratoriums in place for disconnections. However, disconnections did not increase significantly. Arrears levels remained in around the same, and slightly went up obviously when there was a severe uh, economic slowdown. um, Arrears may have jumped. Now an arrear with uh, is one billing period missed with the supplier, so that may have happened sometimes. But those arrears have remained reasonably low, and disconnections. Even after the moratoriums have been lifted, and there are other customer protections over the winter period that suppliers have to adhere to, which are in place by the CRU, where nobody can be dis.
0: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work.
3: Connected,
2: uh, yeah, can you, and I know as part of the of this survey, you, you want to highlight that. This is their priority services and special services registers. Can you explain what they are for people?
6: Yeah, so every energy supplier required to maintain a, a, a register, like a priority services register for customers who are dependent on electrically powered equipment. Um, maybe that way will, will be um, for medical use. And also for customers who are particularly vulnerable to natural gas, electricity, disconnections during the winter months. So older people and maybe uh, people are in hardship as well. So I think it's important that people are aware that that exists. We do have a campaign. We've had uh, a media campaign throughout the winter period to make people aware of this. But we always feel there should be more possibly people on that register. The number of customers registering remains low, but mainly due to consumers not knowing uh, that it's there. Mm. So only twenty percent nine percent of electricity customers were aware of the priority services register uh, while ninety percent of electric, electricity customers were aware of the special services register. So it is important every uh, time you sign up to the supplier, they will offer you and ask you those questions and are required to ask you these questions. Do you feel you are qualified? Um, would you like to uh, register on either that prior to your special services register? And if you haven't done that at the start of your, your, your time with that supplier, it's no problem to go and
2: contact them You can do it anytime. Supplier. You can yeah. do it anytime. But if you're switching, exactly. it's, it's important that you let your new supplier know that you want yeah. to be on that register. Uh, Anne wants to know, when you switch, do you lose your free units of electricity?
6: Well, each discounted period um, you, you won't because each each time you move into uh, it, you may have a credit existing with your old supplier. That credit would still be existing on your on your own account, and um, so nothing will be lost by switching. In fact, you're more likely to gain by switching uh, because there is, as I said, there is still obviously value out there of switching each year because each supplier would want to gain customers and are prepared to offer discounted uh, uh, tariffs um, and offerings. So it is always worth a while to switch.
2: Okay, and I knew the minute that we would start talking about electricity or gas, uh, we'd have people asking about the 200 euro that the government are giving the energy credit. Uh, Somebody's saying, does Carol know when we are to get that?
6: I understand the departments are working and the government are working through that. From a leg- There is a legislation perspective that, uh, that has to be followed through with that. And I know that's in train. We have been working with suppliers over the last number of months um, for that to, to happen. So that should all be in place over the next couple of months. But the exact times have to be confirmed. It's expectation that will obviously take probably the end of this month and then on. Uh, but... That that is in process at the moment and the legislation that needs to be passed so that, that's in train at the moment.
2: Okay and Alan says it is also good to highlight the fact that you can get huge electricity bills because you've had a number of estimated bills it happened to me uh, last year. Now I know more smart meters are being uh, installed so that takes away having to read the meters but if you do miss the meter reader person you need to submit your reading don't you?
6: Yeah, all suppliers um uh, are probably more keen for for uh, submitting um the, the, the meter readings um because it just allows them to build accurate and and not have the issues of those dreaded catch up bills. I've been a victim of those dreaded catch up bills as well. Smart meters will change all that where there was you know, as the more smart meters have been rolled out across the country over the next three years as well, uh, which that will mean the an end to actually uh, that will be automatically um read. But the important thing is to do, when you have the opportunity to submit your reading, you do it on a monthly basis and get into the habit of doing that. Uh, it'll just mean that you're less likely to be hit with an estimated read. And then when there's an actual read further down the line, it, you may well be uh, faced with a catch-up bill, which, which no one likes. So yeah. it's it's good to get into that. A little bit like switching on a regular and annual basis, submitting your meter reads is really important.
2: Would you have any idea how the rollout of the smart meters are going?
6: Yeah, at the present, there's uh, close to uh, 750,000 have been rolled out across the country. Um, uh, As they continue to roll out even further, um, suppliers will begin and are already offering smart tariffs to allow you to um, find the tariff that suits your energy use, uh, whether it be morning, afternoon and evening, and those tariffs will allow you to just to, to, to change your behaviors to get the most efficient use and lowest cost as well from your, from your, your electricity use. Yeah. And those are continuing those are to roll out. The expectation that the rollout will be finished by uh, 2024. But obviously, they've been going on pre, during COVID, slow down a little bit. But those are continuing to roll out. And we're up to 750,000 of the approximately 2.4 million uh, meters that are, that are in the country.
2: OK, and John in Blackpool in the city says, could you please ask your guest? Our guest is Carl Richardson of the uh, Commission uh, for Regulation of Utilities. My friend did a fire in her house last October and she's had to move out of the house for the moment. She's moved in with her sister, but she's still been charged standing charges from board GAUT and she's also been charged for the prepaid power standing charge. Is that right?
6: It is, unfortunately, yes. I think standing charges are set, uh, they're, they're not set by the commission, but each standing charge for, for the uh, cost of having the meter in place there, obviously your use is not, uh, not taking place. But, but equally so, different suppliers will have different standing charges, so it's important to whether she is in or out of contract to look at those as costs because, as I said, Tariffs and standing charges may differ between suppliers, so she may well look at her contract to try and get the best value. But standing charges are are standard for all suppliers, and but they do vary.
2: Nora says, "I have a, I had a smart meter installed, but I'm still getting emails asking for me to send in the readings. I thought the smart reader sends the readings automatically." That those
6: well, smart services and, and those readings will will um, uh, an upload. Smart services aren't fully functional at this, at this point in time. However, your supplier should have contacted her as soon as the smart meter was installed. And it's important that she contacts her smart or sorry, her supplier to see what smart tariffs may be available uh, at this point. So it's important to contact your supplier. The, the meter on the wall is is just one part. Your your relationship with your supplier is really important. And you should really contact your her supplier just to find out what tariffs are available and how she might uh, change those.
2: OK. And Jim in Clannochilty, do all electricity companies penalise for low usage? Um.
6: That varies across suppliers, uh, again, much like tariffs and and standing charges. There is a low use um, um, charge that some suppliers have in place uh, but again it 's important to engage with your supplier and this is this is really the key thing always talk to your supplier. There is ways uh, obviously and more amenable uh, and other suppliers that, that may be able to offer you better and may not have those low usage of charge as well. So it's important to, to talk to your supplier.
2: Okay and of course people's electricity bills are starting to arrive and we all knew that they were going to have, this one was going to be a, a kind of a whopper of a bill. Dennis said just got my electricity uh, bill it's the full 60 days €251.06 it's normally never over the 200 euro mark Uh, it didn't contain the electricity credit it looks like it'll be may or june for me
6: yeah and i think i think everybody is feeling that and seeing those those bills and we start to feel the 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 rise in in that the global wholesale gas prices are putting on electricity costs and obviously to the the end user and it really is back to ensuring that you're um making sure that you're looking at your own contract, seeing what other offers may well be available out there. Um, Of course, obviously, the the government credit is is coming on further down the line, which will be help uh, those people who who really need it as well. Um, But again, it's really important to... Keep, keep on top of your bill to ensure that you're, you're getting the most value out of it and try to, to look at other offers that may well be out there.
2: And Dennis, if you haven't switched, now is a good time to do it. Carol, we leave it there. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you. Good morning to you. That is Carl Richardson, Head of Communications at the Commission for Regulation of Utilities. O eight one eight one oh three one oh three. John Paul taking your calls. Court today on
0: C one oh three
3: with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG dot ie.
2: Sanctuary runners are doing a special blue and yellow run tomorrow. It's at various locations across Ireland. And simply to show solidarity with the people of Ukraine and the non-governmental organisations, the NGOs who are working in the war-torn country. Founder of the Sanctuary Runners is Graeme Clifford, who joins me. Good morning to you, Graeme. Good morning. Uh, always a pleasure to, to speak with you. Are you, like me, struggling to understand what we're witnessing on our TV screens and on social media every day?
7: Well, I think the... The display of inhumanity um, is hard for us to get our head around. Perhaps somehow by distance and different cultures, we in Ireland are somewhat or have been somewhat sheltered or protected from the horrors of war in places like Syria and uh, South Sudan and Burkina Faso and Somalia and uh, so on. But this is, uh, I suppose, closer to home, and that's why people are so impacted. And uh, it is horrific, and it is um, it is very hard to get your head around. Uh, but this is the Russian Facebook for many years, and uh, it's very difficult, It's very difficult, yeah.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, over the years, so many Eastern Europeans have come here and have been welcomed here and have worked here that we all know Eastern Europeans. We work with them. You know, they're our neighbours, they're our friends. And it it just it feels like and, and it feels like it's on it's on our doorstep as well. And then we have a past history of what it's like to be oppressed.
7: Yeah, and when you say it's on our doorstep, it is really on our doorstep, you know, and I think sometimes we can feel that, hey, we're an island here drifting off off uh, into the Atlantic, but uh, in, in, in geographical terms, it is very close. Um, and as you said, I mean, in, in where I live in Fermoy, as you know, Tricia, we would have um, a very large Central and Eastern European population, you know, in relative terms, um, friends, neighbours, you know, people who own businesses in the town and so on. So it very much feels like um, that pain is shared. You know, a lot of my work, Patricia, I suppose, over the years has been ensuring or trying to ensure that we see somebody as an equal, regardless of where they come from, whether it's Ukraine or Syria or Palestine or whatever. But uh, I suppose, you know, inevitably, there's uh, a closeness here that is um, impossible to a shake and um, yeah, it's, it's very hard for everybody. And, and it's you know we've had this COVID nineteen pandemic and people dealing with that and feeling like we were coming out of that and that was very traumatic for people, especially those who lost lost loved ones. And then this coming on the back of it, it hits everybody in the world hard. And uh, especially in Europe, I think.
2: Yeah, and of course you've you you've got the wonderful choir in Fomoy I mean, I take it some of your members are from Ukraine, are they? Yes.
7: Yeah. Um, And we've had members in the past as well, and obviously the Polish and Lithuanian and Belarusian, and, you know, everybody's trying to deal with it in their own way. I know a lot of the choir members are involved in gathering items and stuff to send off to Ukraine. Um, I also work a lot with um, Ukrainian doctors and medics around Ireland. They're doing stuff and and getting great support. And with the Sanctuary Runners uh, tomorrow you know we're we're trying to do something as well i I think that's part of the problem isn't it Tricia, that you kind of think what can I do? what can I do that's meaningful yeah. um not you know not symbolic but but actually something meaningful what can i do and uh, and that's that's where we're coming at it from
2: but I think the symbolic part is important as well i've mm-hmm. i've- ca- I've seen a lot on social media of people actually in the heart of it in in ukraine and they in whatever kind of comfort God help us what they're going through but, but you can see that they know the world is standing with them through all of these you know flying of flags lighting up buildings and doing exactly what you plan to do tomorrow
7: yes I suppose there's two yeah now I, I, no, you're right and, and there's, there's two elements to what we're trying to do I suppose one is symbolic and the other is, is practical I suppose in that we're asking people if they can to to donate to the Irish Red Cross-Ukraine Crisis Appeal as well. But, um, you know, it's very difficult. Like, I don't know if you've discussed this on the show yet, uh, you this week, but, you know, I think it's very difficult for parents, even with their children, um, to discuss what's happening in Ukraine and its wider impact uh, and so on. So we're hoping that these kind of events are ways maybe gently you know, bring younger people as well into the, the area of understanding perhaps in some protected way what's happening out there as well. But no, you're right. The symbolic stuff is, is, is clearly very important as well because uh, if you didn't have that happening it spirits would just would go through the floor.
2: Okay, so, t- so tell us what's planned for tomorrow and what you're asking people to do.
7: So it's called the Run for Ukraine and we're asking people to run or jog, or walk, anywhere, any distance, at any time tomorrow, in their blue and yellow. So it could be a blue and yellow top or whatever. They happen to be the colors of the sanctuary runners, but <laughs> people can wear whatever, whatever they so choose. Choose. And when they do that, if they can or if they want to, they could use the hashtag run for ukraine and share an image of them, uh, you know, in their colors on social media. We're also asking people if they can, and if they haven't done so already, if they wanted to donate the money to the uh, Irish Red Cross at redcross.ie, and specifically the Ukraine Crisis Appeal. And we're asking groups of people if they want to come together to run. You know, like it could be a GA club or a choir. Our choir here in Pemoya are doing it. For example, they're walking together tomorrow. Or it could be just a group of friends or your neighbors or your street or your business. Um, or it could be you on your own uh, doing it, but we're just asking people to to get up, put on the the, the trainers, put on the blue and yellow, and get out there and and uh, in a show of solidarity.
2: Okay, and use that. The hashtag is Run for uh, Ukraine. Okay, where will you be doing your own run, Graham? Well, in the morning, I'm going. I'm going to
7: be picking up a Ukrainian friend of mine who's living out in Rochettown, Um and. Uh, going then to Ballancolig uh, Regional Park and uh, a few of us are going to meet there tomorrow <coughs> to, uh, to do it.
2: Okay, well done, well done. Uh, you, as always, doing amazing work. Uh, continue flying the flag, uh, Graham. Pleasure as always to talk to you and we'll speak again. Thank you, Patricia. Thanks a million. Bye bye. That is Graeme uh, Clifford of the uh, Sanctuary Runners and as Graeme mentioned, if you can donate to the Red Cross and that's what we're encouraging uh, everybody to do because today we've launched our own appeal here at C103, the C103 Ukraine Crisis Appeal and obviously it's to get as much funds as we can through to the Irish Red Cross and we've made it easy for you in that you just have to go onto the C103.ie webpage. You go to C103.ie forward slash And you'll get a link there to donate to the Irish Red Cross uh, Ukrainian uh, crisis. And actually, I saw the Irish Red Cross today is sending the first of their fundraised money. I mean, the money has been pouring into the Red Cross in Ireland, which is just fantastic. And a half a million euro is being sent to Ukraine today on behalf of Irish people via the Red Cross to support the, uh, the operations. And, you know, the Red Cross... They know what's needed on the ground. The people on the ground know what's needed. They know the standard of what they uh, need and you know the Red Cross has been saying it all week. The best way to support people from Ukraine right now is to make that cash donation because it allows the Red Cross then to scale up its response. They can get the items that's actually needed at that moment in time. They can for example provide cash assistance if that's a better option uh, to somebody so that somebody can look after them themselves and they're able to help the people who are most in need. They'll help the people inside in Ukraine, but also the people in the neighbouring, the neighbouring countries where all of the refugees are are spilling onto. So if you can help out in any way, please, we are encouraging you to help through the C103 Ukraine Crisis Appeal at c103.ie forward slash Aid.
3: You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed.
2: Just to let you know, if you have a loved one or you have a need to go to Bantry General Hospital, they've been in contact with us, as they say, due to increased infection control measures. Bantry Gen- General Hospital has temporarily suspended hospital visiting, and it's effective from today. Visits will only be allowed on compassionate grounds, but even on compassionate grounds, they need to be pre arranged with the ward managers and the hospital consultants. Now the situation will be reviewed they say on an ongoing basis and any changes will be advised and they let us know so that we can call it out. Visiting is restricted to all wards and all departments. The hospital management therefore have requested that where appropriate the public either contact your GP in the first instance and maybe explore other options available rather than going to Bantry General Hospital and that would could include the local injury unit your GP are going to South Dock, the out-of-hours service. All appropriate infection control precautions are being followed to minimise the risk of spreading infection among staff and uh, patients. Okay, so it's visitors visiting restrictions at Bantry General Hospital until further notice. And thank you to Hilary, who sent in a text saying, Patricia, I would be very grateful to you if you would thank Jordan... We only have a first name, Jordan, who works in the Clarion and two other very kind men who all came to my aid when my car died at the traffic lights at Brineborough Bridge. It was about 5.30 on Saturday, the 19th of February. Now, I didn't get the two gentlemen's names and I don't know Jordan's surname. They went out of their way to follow me home after jump-starting my car just in case I had any further problems. The world is full of kindness, says Hilary, and it was very much appreciated. Yeah, there is great, great kindness out there. And you know, Well done to you for calling out that kindness. I always love when I see texts and calls coming in like that because when people go above and beyond and the kindness of strangers I think always needs to be called out and acknowledged for what it is. So good to know you got home safe Hilary and hopefully the issues with your car has been sorted out. Okay on what's happening in... In the Ukraine. Now, Kay has um, sent in, In a t- a t- OK, before I, get to tech, before I get to Kay's, because I'm, I wonder, will others agree or disagree with Kay? Before I get to Kay, West Cork listener says, Patricia, however well guarded President Putin is, there is always a way to get to him. The men and the guards closest to him are just as devious and corrupt as he is. The Secret Service surely should know how to find him isn't that what they are trained to do and it won't be soon enough says a west cork listener but the man is so paranoid and if you notice, whenever he's speaking, certainly to any of his government ministers, because even his paranoia extends. If you'll always see him sitting at a table and it's a massive long table, and they're halfway down the table, and how they're, they must have very good hearing, or as they're shouting at each other to hear what the other person's saying at the other end of the table, but he's so paranoid about even being close to his closest, i.e., his government ministers, and I know Covid nearly sent the man. He completely isolated himself. He was so fearful of getting COVID-19. But he's so, so paranoid. But if you watch the faces when he is any of his government ministers in with him, to me, they're just all terrified of him. It's just nothing but fear on their faces because they know what this guy is capable of. You stand up against him and you'll suddenly disappear and that'll be it. It'll be the last that the last that will be heard of you, and there'll be no investigation as to where you went and why suddenly is you know comrade Unesco why has he suddenly gone missing? It'll just be replaced by somebody else. So there is a fear factor there as well. But I know what the point you're making that surely outside secret service from America, from Germany, from anywhere in the West could go in and, ta- and take him out. As I say, you'd like to think that it is being looked at very carefully. But Kay has been on to say, look, and she starts her text by saying, my heart goes out to the Ukrainian people. Um, My God, they are such strong, resilient people. But I think now the time has come where maybe they should just give in to Putin and what he is looking for. Because if they don't, it looks like he wants to wipe out all of mankind. Thoughts and prayers with the people of Ukraine. May God love them. I I certainly can't, having watched that documentary that I told you uh, about where they had their people's revolution, they are a very strong and a very resilient uh, people and to even hear some of them, you know, those who have volunteered to become soldiers, people who are not trained as soldiers, the reserve army, and saying they will fight to the bitter end. But I I don't know if you can even give in to Putin. I mean, if they were to just bow down and say, OK, take our country, I mean, there would would then there would certainly be a slaughter of so many people, even, even if they bowed down. But that's That wouldn't stop the man. That didn't stop Hitler. You know, I mean, Hitler, the first annexation was Austria and they took Austria and the rest of the world felt they'll stop there. But he didn't stop there and Putin won't stop there. He's got this thing in his head that America, it's America is is who he hates the most. and He's got this thing that America has already taken over Europe and that they're coming now for Russia. He's just so paranoid. So I I don't know if others would see it Kay's way and, and maybe that the Ukrainian people should just... Put down their guns and hand over their country to this madman. But what kind of a life, or a future, would they have? It just doesn't bear, uh, thinking about. It. it really doesn't. We were talking about driving. Thank you for your text, uh, Kay. And I know, I know, it's coming from a good place. You just you're trying to see an end to what we're witnessing. We all want to see an end uh, to what we're witnessing. Even though I just saw a piece on the news wires coming out of one of the hospitals in in one of the cities and a plea to get the the cancer patients, the child cancer patients, uh, to get them out. They're all in this hospital at the moment and they keep having to bring the children. They're in one of the cities that has just been constantly bombarded and they keep having to bring the children down into the basement. And we're saying some of the younger children think it's some sort of a game when they have to run to the basement when it gets noisy outside. But the older children are understanding that there is a war uh, going on. And the doctors there have put a plea to say, seemingly, the Italians have stepped in and said that they will look after these young children. With the uh, cancer, but it's to try to get them to Italy, and they can't get a safe. Trying to get up they have. A planned escape route. It's just too dangerous to embark on the journey. They're trying. They have an evacuation plan ready, but they're afraid to take the children out in case they get bombed in this escape route. So they're hoping that the corridor, that the humanitarian corridor that will open up, will include the city there, and they'll be able to get these children out. But they're these are children. They've sent photographs of the children sitting in corridors with their mums. It's just heartbreaking. And they say time is running out for us. We have medical supplies for one. One to two, maybe three weeks at uh, most. There are no fresh supplies coming in. May God help us, was the appeal that went out from one of the doctors. Just, and they're doing their best to try to look after these uh, children. It's just shocking. Uh, it really is. Um, OK, on um, something different on... Um, Driving licence, Con in says, Patricia you've been talking about driving licence on the programme, I am over 70 so I'm entitled to a free driving licence but I need to get a medical cert from a doctor and the charge for that is 55 euro which I think is robbery, says Con in Tirelton. Um I don't know how much over 70 you are Con because they've changed that to over 75 so if you're under 75 you don't need to get the medical cert but if you're over 75 you do and that, that The charge of it varies from doctor's practice to doctor's practice. Um, 0818 103 103. Our lines are open. John Paul taking your calls. You can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary.
3: With Cork County Council. Where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie.
2: Middleton GAA Bingo is on tonight at the usual time of 7.30. Great prizes are on uh, offer. While Ballonhasic Community Development Association, they're holding a social dance in the Marion Hall in Ballonhasic tonight. Dancing is from 9.30 to 12.30. And it is to Michelle Murphy's two-piece band. Admission 10 euro, which includes teas. Castle Bear Development Association, they've got Indoor Bingo tonight at 8. That's in the Golf Club. This week's jackpot is €1,800. And Bantier Drama Group are presenting Many Young Men of 20 by John B. Keane. That's on tonight and again on Sunday in the Glen Theatre in Bantier at 8.30. They'll have Declan Nerny in concert then on Sunday the 3rd of April. Booking for any of the shows available at the Glen Theatre in Bantier 029. 56239. Bingo goes ahead in Mallow GA complex tonight, that's at 8 15. Jackpot, 2300 euro, all are welcome. And a quiz night in aid of the Red Cross Ukraine appeal will be held tonight, 9 o'clock. In O'Brien's Bar, Connolly Street in Clonakilty, And the Bandon branch of the Irish Red Cross, they have a collection for financial donations for the Ukrainian crisis. They'll be at the Riverview Shopping Centre in Bandon. They're there today. And they'll be there again tomorrow. Please give generously.
0: Court today on C103.
3: With Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale. Now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life, and health insurance. CMIG.ie.
2: Morris has been on uh, to say thanks for the information that we gave earlier when we spoke with the utilities regulator about trying to save money on your electricity or your gas uh, charges. Mara said, I just contacted my supplier and I got a two cent reduction in my unit rate and a 75 euro credit to my account says Morris. He didn't even have to switch, he just got back onto his supplier. Well done, glad to know that we saved you a bit of money it's, uh, it's always good news if we can save somebody uh, money and uh, reaction to Kay who reckons should the Ukrainian people simply give in to Putin because he seems to want to wipe out mankind somebody says you can't give in to bullies and we'd all be speaking German today if we'd let Hitler have his way. Yeah, that's what he is, he's just a bully. Now on the price of petrol, a couple of people have been on about this including somebody saying hi Patricia what are the government doing about the price of diesel and petrol they're doing nothing they must take all that off fuels it doesn't matter to the government they have free cars and fuel Uh, but not like the rest of us that have to pay for it and Joe says he got 160 euro worth of oil yesterday and when he looked at the bill 20 euro of it went in vat that is way too much they need to do something about it well i know that the aa have just come out and said that the cost of filling up the average car is going to rise to 2400 euro a year that's if petrol prices at the pumps go to two euro a litre very close to that at the moment. Two years ago it would have cost the same car €1,500 a year so that means potentially it will be costing to run Average family car nine hundred euro extra for this year fuel prices are rising fast and obviously in the rake, in the r- wake of the Russian invasion on the Ukraine, we know the fuel prices are going to go even higher, and that two euro elys in the four courts is expected uh, to be seen right across the country very soon it's actually one Dublin filling station in Dublin during the week on one of their premium petrol products were at €2. Now it reduced down again later on in the week, but at the start of the week it did hit uh, €2. Euro. Few prices have been climbing in recent months. Firstly, there was the post-COVID inflation, which the government had predicted, but they were hoping that that would level off later in the year. But we didn't know that a madman was going to invade Ukraine. And that obviously has thrown the global markets into turmoil and it's seen energy prices spike. Uh, currently, it's about 770 euro more expensive to fill the average car per year compared to the price we were paying in 2020 and that's coming from the AA. Uh, Paddy Coleman of the AA advised people shop around for your fuel he said prices were changing with greater frequency and he said sometimes the price can change by a few cents at a time and if you're putting in a full fill all those savings can mount up. He says the average car has a 50 litre fuel tank. So if petrol does hit €2 a litre, it'll be €100 to fill your uh, tank. Um, and that's going to be, that's a lot to add on to the cost of uh, motoring. Now, yesterday, the Thornister, Leo Varadkar, did say in the dole that the government is going to consider reducing excise duty on fuel to try to compensate for the rising cost of petrol and diesel. Leo Varadkar says the government, having taken steps towards household relief on energy bills, was now looking and other ways to reduce the impact of events that were, you know, in fairness outside of the government's control. He said we are more concerned than ever about energy prices. He said everybody driving by the forecourt this morning would have seen the price of petrol and the price of diesel. He said we've already seen increases in our gas bills, our electricity bills and unfortunately because of the events in Ukraine we're likely to see further rises over the next couple of weeks. So that's the first time very strong indications that the government are going to do something on excise duty. And they need to move quick because remember, at the start of May, there's an increase in the carbon tax, which is going to add further to the price of diesel and petrol. And also, when Neil was speaking in the Dáil yesterday, he said he was confident that Ireland had energy security as things stood and that we shouldn't suffer shortages. I mean, this is a big worry with what's going on in Ukraine the, he said the giant Money Point power plant and the Shannon Estuary, that's been burning some Russian coal, but they've now switched to Colombian coal. And Leo Varadka also said that we're not thankfully dependent on Russia or Ukraine for gas, which is a big worry across Europe, I know particularly for uh, Germany. So we shouldn't be suffering shortages, which I suppose will give uh, some comfort to um, a lot of people. 0818103103. John Paul, taking your calls. You can text or WhatsApp to
0: 0 0862 103
3: 103. Court today on C103 with Sean Cusack Insurance's Kinsale now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.
2: Gary and Mallow was on to say, Patricia, I just heard the end of your announcement about visiting in hospitals. Could you call that out again? It's not Mallow General Hospital, it was to do with Bantry General Hospital. They have restricted uh, visiting to all wards and all departments, but it's just affecting Bantry General Hospital. It's due to increased infection control measures. That's as much information as they have given us. Some of your calls in on President Putin. Morrison Glanthorne says, uh, what about all the generals? If Putin is wiped out, which one of the generals will take over? One person alone cannot do it on their own unless he has a strong group around him. What idiot in his right mind would fire missiles into a nuclear power plant, which is what seems to have happened uh, overnight. Many people disagreeing with Kay that the Ukrainians should uh, give up, uh, including Deborah in Mitchellstown, saying, what is the plan for Europe if this madman fighting for the Russian sides decides to go down the nuclear option? And Trish in Blackpool is wondering, where can you purchase ribbons in the Ukrainian colours, the blue and the uh, yellow? She said, "I've seen people wearing them, but I've tried everywhere in Blackpool, and I can't find any of them. I don't know if there's any arty people are starting to make them and sell them. That'd be a nice little fundraiser, wouldn't it? And give the money to the Red Cross if people wanted to start making blue and yellow ribbons. I haven't seen any of them on sale. And Trish is also wondering about the Iranians. Have they been asked their thoughts? Not for them to go into the Ukraine, but what are their thoughts on the war? I know, and of course, Iran and Russia." strategic uh, allies. I do know that Iran were criticised at home uh, that the government were criticised for a tepid response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine they didn't come out and say it was wrong so it was kind of rather a tepid response but I did earlier this morning see a former Iranian president he actually praised Ukraine's resistance against uh, Russia so it's kind of a mixed. but the fact that they are strategic allies you're not going to have one completely coming out against the other. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Now Mark Malone our movie reviewer is with us on this Friday afternoon. Good afternoon to you Mark. Hi Patricia. And a movie I haven't seen yet but I certainly am interested in seeing your reviewing which is Belfast and the other one is Tyler Perry's A Homecoming? Is it? Yes, it is. Okay. Alright, let us get a quick trailer from Belfast.
8: Be good, son. If you can't be good, be be careful. careful. You're
6: with us or you're against us.
3: Touch my family and I'll kill you. From acclaimed director Kenneth Branagh, Belfast is a five-star masterpiece.
5: How could I leave Belfast? This is our home.
3: When change is everywhere.
1: The Irish were born for leaving. Otherwise the rest of the world would have no pubs.
3: Family is everything. What
1: do you want?
3: I want my family with me.
2: I want you. I have to say the one thing, any of the clips that I've seen or anything I've heard from this movie, the Belfast accents are really, really good in it.
8: Uh, yeah, I mean they're they're pitch perfect. I'm glad to be able to say, you know, Judy Dench, uh, who has an Irish mother, so you know, in the past, I think that uh, you know maybe some of her Irish accents have been a bit on the dodgy side. Yeah. Um, but but she's no, she's pitch perfect here, as is everybody. But then it's it's mainly an Irish cast and a Northern Ireland cast as well. So at least you know they do get it right, and uh, you would hope they would, and they do. I'm glad to be able to say, um, you know, uh, this has been nominated as you probably know seven Oscars, and uh, it's got like 236 nominations in total. And, and it's just got you know the, the awards are coming in left, right, and centre for this, and I can understand completely why. You know, it's the kind of thing that uh, the critics certainly like. Uh, I have met a couple of people who have seen it who weren't particularly fond of it yeah. because there are you know there are times when it's not an easy watch. You know. Um, basically there's a lovely opening to the film where it's basically modern Belfast in colour it then switches to black and white as we switch back to the start of the Troubles back in 1969 and there's this extraordinary sequence you know the the film centres around this little boy played by Jude Hill uh, who has basically this kind of idyllic childhood he's in the street a street with uh, Catholic and Protestants that are mixed everybody gets on Um, everybody knows each other everybody's very supportive of each other and he's playing with the kids in the area and it's an idyllic lifestyle then he's called for his tea and as he runs down the road the camera begins to spin around him and then his whole life kind of turns upside down as the street is attacked by rioters trying to remove catholic um, families from the street and from then on his whole life of course has and will and completely changes for everybody Yeah, on the street and uh, they've got to put barricades up on the street and they have constant kind of uh, communication from uh, different um, parts of society. They're trying to get them to join their side. Um, for example, there's a number of occasions where um, the father here, played by J.B. Dorden, is visited and is uh, asked to join there and what they consider to be his side. He says, I don't take any sides here. I consider you all to be just a bunch of gangsters. That's all you are. But at the same time, he feels as though he feels that he has to bring his family out of Belfast and is trying desperately, constantly to kind of persuade Katrina Balf, who plays his wife in this, um, to move. But at the same time, it's it's... It's the you know the link between this family and Belfast is so strong that it's very very difficult for them to try and move away. Uh, but the film, you know, it's it's not all kind of dark and dreary and 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 downbeat. I mean, there are a lot of comedic moments in the film. The film really centres around this little boy Jude Hill and the way in which his life then completely changes with the troubles and how he deals with just being a little boy, um, going to school, falling in love. Uh, but at the same time being taught what sectarianism is all about and being really, really confused by it. There's a lovely little sequence, for example, where somebody tells him, well, the difference between is that if your name is Patrick or Sean, you're Catholic, but if you're William or Billy, you're a Protestant. And he points out and he said, well, hang on a second, Sean down the road... Is Protestants so that doesn't make any sense. So there's lots of kind of very little kind of very telling kind of little moments like this uh, throughout the film, whilst at the same time um, revealing how difficult life was uh, at that time. And it's, it was difficult for me certainly because I was the same age as as the little boy Buddy here in the film. In 1969 when 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 the trouble started and so it does it it, you know it, it brings back those memories and one of the things that depressed me actually was the thought that here it was the beginning in 1969 and then knowing that it was another couple of decades before the good friday agreement a lot of people had died along the way Uh, before, uh, you know, peace came to Northern Ireland. And so for me, it was kind of very passionate and it was very kind of personal. And I found it kind of difficult. It's a difficult film to watch at times, but there are comedic moments and lighthearted moments as well. And mainly concerning this uh, little boy and how he's dealing with life um, in Northern Ireland the Troubles. Brilliant soundtrack by uh, Van Morrison throughout the the film. All of the performances are great. I mean, I've been critical about Jamie Dornan in the past, but he's very, very good here, uh, as is Katrina Balfe. You've got Jude Hill as this little boy who... Apparently what they did was, because he wasn't particularly experienced, they just filmed him all the time, uh, even during rehearsals. And because it, in rehearsals, he would have been more relaxed. And so I, I think a lot of those scenes have ended up in the film as well. Kieran Hines has been given um, a best supporting nod, as has uh, Judy Dench. And everybody is terrific uh, in the film. As I say, it's, 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 it's a bit downbeat at times. It's not perfect. There are times when it's a bit smalsy, uh, smallsy, I think. I think there are times when some of the actors kind of slightly have up the lines a little bit because they know it's beautifully written by Kenneth Branagh. And um, there's that scene which has become quite famous. The song Everlasting Love yeah. has become quite famous because of a particular scene in the film with Jamie Dornan, which for me didn't work. It took me right out of the film. and uh, But I know it was there just to kind of lighten up the kind of mood ever so slightly. Um, but it's not necessarily a film that you would enjoy. Um, but it's certainly a film that uh, you would regard very highly.
2: And one, I imagine, that would stay with you. You know, the way sometimes we talk about movies, you watch it and then a couple of days later, you can't even remember it. It sounds to me like something that you will remember. Well, that
8: whole time is beautifully, it's beautifully rec- recreated. So, you know, when you see those signs, uh, the, the, those, those scenes of violence and those scenes of of, of um the of of riots, it does bring it back home. It does bring back to watching, you know, these scenes back in the late sixties, early seventies, on your TV screens, and um, yeah, it's beautifully realised. It, it must be said.
2: I wonder how did the people of Northern Ireland react to it? The people who would have lived through the troubles.
8: As far as I know, they've been really, really positive about it, you know, because the thing is, is that, I mean, it is semi-autobiographical. I mean, Kenneth Branagh remembers, and it's basically the little boy here at the character of Buddy is, is basically Branagh. Um, you know, he, obviously, he, in the film, the little boy manages to kind of his 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 imagination kind of begins to kind of develop at the cinema when you can close the door to the troubles and watch the films of kind of John Ford and uh, you know High Noon and uh, and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which is one of the few moments in the film actually where it's actually in colour, and that's that's quite amazing. It really does catches uh, you know you by surprise when you when you see it. Um, it as I say, you'd admire it more than particularly Really enjoy it, um, but I would certainly recommend it.
2: So you reckon it'll do well at the Oscars?
8: Um, I have no idea. That's a very good okay. question. <laughs> I haven't seen all of the Oscar films, um, but I don't see why not. Why not? I think yeah. Kenneth Brana maybe as, as director and writer, maybe, because uh, for original screenplay. Um yeah, why not?
2: Okay, and to get seven nominations, that's you know, that's that that is good. That is good. Okay, market out of ten, Belfast. I'll give it eight. Eight out of ten. OK. All right. Now, your second movie is uh, because the print has come out funny on, on on what I have in front of me. Taylor Perry's. Is it is it just a homecoming or?
8: It's it's it, the, the full title of the film is Taylor Perry's Amadea. Amadea.
2: Homecoming. Okay. Plays, okay. It's Amadea.
8: It's It's, Madea, yeah. Amadea. it's a, That's the character he's playing here. Um, oh, OK. And. Yeah, there's, yeah. one In one moment in the film, he's called Medea and the next uh, he's called Medea. He's basically in drag here. It's a very, very well-known character in America. This is actually the 12th Medea film.
2: Have you seen any of them? I've never even heard of Medea before. <laughs> so, no, I've never Maybe seen I... any of Medea's movies.
8: I knew that they existed, but I've never had really any inclination to kind of watch them. And basically, it's Tyler Perry, who's this huge man. He's like six foot four in drag as Medea. This very, very kind of um, almost kind of arrogant, kind of very loud, kind of big, huge personality of a woman. And, um, and in this film, basically what happens is it, the title pair plays two parts here. He plays Medea, and he also plays the character of Joe, who is Medea's uh, partner. And they're very, very both kind of very obnoxious, kind of loud kind of characters. And um, they are waiting for the homecoming of all of their family because her grandson' grandson's uh, graduation is coming up. And so, therefore, they're looking forward to all of the family coming to the house for this celebration. Now, the thing is, is that it's very... Uh, this is probably one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. And I, I'll admit to you, I got to 50 minutes. That's it. I I, I I literally paused the film. I realized there was another hour and 10 minutes left. And wow. I, I've i never walked out of the film in the cinema. I, um, whenever I do a DVD review with you, I always stay to the end. I couldn't, Patricia. Wow. It is... It is, the, it is that terrible. It really is quite dreadful. And the thing is that apparently the, the previous 11 films of this character were all kind of um, were, were family films. Here, it's this is their kind of her first or his first R-rated film, and which is kind of 15s and 16s. And um, it just gets ruder and ruder and more obnoxious as, as the film goes on. And I found it a very, very difficult watch. At one stage, for example, the character of Joe, which Tyler Perry also plays, plays um, two young women of the family arrive to the homecoming and the character of Joe begins to to chat up one of the young women. It's pointed out to him that, in fact, the girl is his grandniece. But that doesn't put him off. And, in fact, he actually refers to the fact that he's from Alabama and that doesn't matter. And I'm thinking, what? Hang on a second. <laughs> anyway, so so the grandson is coming back from Europe. He's going to bring his friend who spends time in Dublin. And he has spent time in Dublin with his aunt. His aunt is Agnes Brown. Does that sound familiar to you? Uh, uh,
2: Brendan O'Connor's Agnes Brown.
8: Brendan O'Carroll Agnes Brown appears at the door. Uh, the first I, I, thing I know, she does as, is to break as, wind. because as,
2: Appears as Agnes Brown.
8: Agnes Brendan O'Carroll is Agnes Brown in this film. And uh, she appears at the door, as I say. The first thing she does is break wind.
2: Well, that would be Agnes.
8: Yeah, he knocks at the door. Uh, African-American woman answers the door. And then um, Brendan O'Carroll, as Agnes Brown, crosses his hand across his chest and goes, Wakanda forever! And the door is slammed on him. He then goes into the house. And um, during a conversation with the characters, both characters here, played by Tyler Perry, um... Brendan O'Carroll refers to a particular part of women's underwear, which the character of Joe mishears as a kind of a racial slur. Oh. And we then have this kind of five, 10 minute kind of speech and, on this kind of misunderstanding. And it's ex- just extraordinary. And it gets, it's it's so offensive that I spent the whole time just completely aghast at what I was watching. I just couldn't believe what I was watching. And As I say, at fifty minutes, I gave up. I said, "Look, you know, life is too short for me to watch the rest of this. This is sheer garbage. It really is. I couldn't believe what I was watching. And the thing is, if you do go on, say Rotten Tomatoes, you'll see that the fans like these movies. And I suppose, in a way, it's very similar to um, Mrs. Brown and Mrs. Brown's Boys, where the critics don't like any of these uh, this stuff, but the fans like it, and that's why they keep making." Uh, these movies. I think Brenda O'Carroll has signed a new contract with the BBC to produce another new series. So the fans out there kind of like this kind of stuff. Uh, The critics don't. Uh, Personally, I thought this was absolutely dreadful. I couldn't watch the end of it. I just couldn't.
2: (laughs) Okay, it's called uh, uh, Tyler Perry's A Medea Homecoming. Okay, dare I ask you to mark it out of ten?
8: Uh, I'm not even going to bother. No,
2: oh. so, <laughs> We've got beware, our, we, we have our first zero of the year, I think. Okay, <laughs> Trust up. me.
8: I mean, I could tell you some of the more kind of, more uh, kind of controversial, so-called jokes in the film. They actually get way worse. I mean, but I don't want to kind of inflict that kind of so-called humour yeah, on and people actually, at, uh, at one o'clock on a Friday somebody afternoon. Somebody
2: else is texting to say, like Mark, I tried to watch it as well. The language is beyond obscene. A lot of swearing in it.
8: There's a lot of swearing in it, yeah. But the thing is, is, that look, look, language can be used kind of for a kind of dramatic moment. But just, it's not just simply the language. It's just so offensive, and so degrading, and so disgusting. I, I, no I need for it.
2: it. No need for it. Okay, this. Have a lovely weekend, and we'll chat to you again next week. Thanks for that, Mark. You're welcome. Thank you. Bye bye. That is uh, Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. Not too impressed with the Medea homecoming, but certainly Belfast is a movie well, well worth uh, seeing. Actually, a couple of people said, Patricia, have you seen the breaking news? I have. President Michael D. Higgins and his wife, Sabina, they have tested positive for COVID-19. They took an antigen test ahead of a scheduled visit. They were due to go to a school in Ballymun in Dublin this morning, but being the good people that they were. They're obviously constantly antigen testing before they go out anywhere to meet the general public. Both of them have tested uh, positive. They are both displaying mild COVID-19 symptoms and obviously now will isolate for the next uh, seven days. And President Michael Higgins says he will continue to work from his office at Oris on Uchderan, but obviously all of their public engagements have been cancelled. We wish them nothing but love and good health to President Michael Higgins and his wife Sabina, testing positive. That's where we leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon. He's got a brand new show this Saturday as well. Good luck to Nick with that. Until Monday at 10, I'm Petition Messenger. Very good
0: afternoon. Court today on C103
3: with Sean Cusack Insurances Sale. now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. See MIG.ie.